It was a large, old reading room in the basement of an old Victorian building in an old village in old New England. The room was a sea of dusty old wingback chairs, grouped in twos, facing round small tables. One could not walk a straight line from the double doors to the fireplace at the far end. A dozen people could be in the room and not see anyone else but the person opposite. This was the hometown of an obscure writer of short, weird fiction from the turn of the last century. And I thought these stories from original manuscripts would be a crowning addition to my thesis on Transitional Short Fiction of the Late 19th and Early 20th Century. It was to be my grand opus and would cement my position as the rising star of the English department. But time was short. It had taken me hours to navigate the narrow country roads to get here. Why did these types of writers always live in such backwater places? I arrived in time to stick my foot in the door, just as the old maid librarian was closing it. After a few minutes of very picturesque begging and pleading, she showed me to the archive room, which was next to the reading room, and left, telling me to lock the door on my way out. After an hour of collecting material, I dragged it to the empty reading room and sat down to my study. I was tired and must have fallen asleep because suddenly I was shocked awake by a deep voice which seemed to come from a wingback chair on the other side of the room. These stories are much more interesting when they are heard rather than read, it said. Listen, and you'll hear what I mean. Here is a quartet of stories by the master of the vignette, Lord Dunsany. A Moral Little Tale by Lord Dunsany There was once an earnest Puritan who held it wrong to dance. For his principles he labored hard. His was a zealous life, and there loved him all of those who hated the dance. Those that loved the dance respected him, too. They said, He is a pure, good man, and acts according to his lights. He did much to discourage dancing, and helped to close several Sunday entertainments. Some kinds of poetry he said he liked, but not the fanciful kind as that might corrupt the thoughts of the very young. He always dressed in black. He was quite interested in morality, and was quite sincere. There grew to be much respect on earth for his honest face and his flowing pure white beard. One night the devil appeared unto him in a dream and said, Well done! Avant, said the earnest man. No, no, friend, said the devil. Dare not to call me friend, he answered bravely. Come, come, friend, said the devil. Have you not done my work? Have you not put apart the couples that would dance? Have you not checked their laughter and their accursed mirth? Have you not worn my livery of black, old friend? Friend, you do not know what a detestable thing it is to sit in hell and hear people being happy. Singing in theaters, singing in the fields, and whispering after dances under the moon? And he fell to cursing fearfully. It is you, said the Puritan, that put into their hearts the evil desire to dance. And black is God's own livery, not yours. 
The devil laughed contemptuously and spoke. He only made the silly colors, he said, and useless dawns on hill slopes facing south, butterflies flapping along them as soon as the sun rose high, foolish maidens coming out to dance, the warm, mad west wind, and worst of all, that pernicious influence love. And when the devil said that God made love, that earnest man sat up in bed and shouted, Blasphemy! Blasphemy! It's true, said the devil. It isn't I that send the village fools muttering and whispering two by two in the woods when the harvest moon is high. It's as much as I can bear even to see them dancing. Then said the man, I have mistaken right for wrong. But as soon as I wake, I will fight you yet. Oh, no you don't, said the devil. You don't wake up out of this sleep. Somewhere far away, hell's black steel doors were opened. Arm in arm, these two were drawn within. The doors shut behind them, and still they went arm in arm, trudging further and further into the deeps of hell. It was that Puritan's punishment to know that those that he cared for on earth would do evil as he had done. The End The Demagogue and the Demimon by Lord Dunsey A demagogue and a demimondane chanced to arrive together at the gate of paradise, and the saint looked sorrowfully at them both. Why were you a demagogue, he said to the first. Because, said the demagogue, I stood for those principles that have made us what we are, and have endeared our party to the great heart of the people. In a word, I stood unflinchingly on the plank of popular representation. And you, said the saint to her of the demimond. I wanted money, said the demimondane. And after some moments thought, the saint said, well, come in, though you don't deserve to. But to the demagogue, he said, We genuinely regret that the limited space at our disposal and our unfortunate lack of interest in those questions that you have gone so far to inoculate and have so ably upheld in the past prevent us from giving you the support for which you seek. And he shut the golden door. The End The Trouble in Leafy Green Street by Lord Dunsey She went to the idol's shop in Mohill Street where the old man mumbles and said, I want a god to worship when it is wet. The old man reminded her of the heavy penalties that rightly attached to idolatry. And when he had enumerated all, she answered him as was meet, Give me a god to worship when it is wet. He went to the back places of his shop, sought out, and brought her a god. The god was carved of gray stone and wore a propitious look. It was named, as the old man mumbled, the god of rainy cheerfulness. Now it may be that long confinement to the house affects adversely the liver, or these things may be of the soul, but certain it is that on a rainy day her spirits so far descended that these cheerful creatures came within sight of the pit, and having tried cigarettes to no good end, 
she bethought her of Mohill Street and the mumbling man. He brought the gray idol forth and mumbled of guarantees, although he put nothing on paper. She paid him there and then his preposterous price and took the idol away. On the next wet day that there ever was, she prayed to the gray stone idol that she had bought, the god of rainy cheerfulness, who knows with what ceremony or lack of it, and so brought down on her in leafy green street in the preposterous house at the corner that doom of which all men speak. The End The Man with the Golden Earrings By Lord Dunsey It may be that I dreamed this, so much at least is certain, that I turned one day from the traffic of a city and came to its docks. I saw its slimy wharves going down green and steep into the water, I saw the huge gray river slipping by, and the lost things that went with it turning over and over. I thought of the nations and unpitying time, and saw and marveled at the queenly ships come newly from the sea. It was then, if I mistake not, that I saw leaning against a wall, with his face to the ships, a man with golden earrings. His skin had the dark tint of the southern men. The deep black hairs of his mustache were whitened a little with salt. He wore a dark blue jacket such as sailors wear, and the long boots of seafarers. But the look in his eyes was further afield than the ships. He seemed to be holding the farthest things. Even when I spoke to him, he did not call home that look, but answered me dreamingly with that same fixed stare, as though his thoughts were heaving on far and lonely seas. I asked him what ship he had come by, for there were many there. The sailing ships were there with their sails all furled and their masts straight and still like a wintry forest. The steamers were there, and great liners, puffing up idle smoke into the twilight. He answered that he had come by none of them. I asked him what line he worked on, for he was clearly a sailor. I mentioned well-known lines, but he did not know them. Then I asked him where he worked and what he was. And he said, I work in the Sargasso Sea, and I am the last of the pirates, the last left alive. I shook him by the hand. I do not know how many times I said, We feared you were dead! We feared you were dead! And he answered sadly, No, no, I have sinned too deeply on the Spanish seas. I am not allowed. To die. The end. I must have fallen asleep again. The next thing I remember was the librarian's voice from the hall outside. That damn young fool didn't lock the door, it said. Times aren't what they used to be. 
I ducked low and crept out when she wasn't looking. The whole drive back, all I could think about were those marvelous stories. Such marvelous stories.